We are jumping back into our study of Matthew. For those who are here with us for the first time this morning, we started a a couple months ago in the book of Matthew, and we made our way to chapter 5 and got to the Sermon on the Mount. Went through the first few Beatitudes, and we stopped and we looked for a few weeks at the new birth. Um, And now, as we've concluded our little mini-series on the new birth, we're going back into the Beatitudes and starting with verse... Six today. Now, I had planned to do two Beatitudes today. And as I did my outline, I told my mom I was doing two, and she laughed. And she's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And she was right. As I was working on it, uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to spare everyone, and we're just going to work on one today. Um, but as we've, as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and we've, I've said it a lot, The Sermon on the Mount is not a checklist into the kingdom of heaven. It's not a to-do list to make yourself right for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of heaven, but we've had to remember, and it's the reason why we stopped and look at the new birth, that the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, even to see the kingdom of heaven, one must be born again. And so we had to stop and think about that. And I had a definition, not a definition, I, had a, a, I found, a, um, I guess, a definition of the Beatitudes that I read when we first started, but it might make more sense now that we've understood more about the new birth. And I believe this came from uh, either John Stott or John Stott quoting um, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, the Beatitudes, the, the Beatitudes set forth the blessing which God bestows not as a reward for merit, but as a gift of grace upon those in whom he is working such a character. So if, you're look, if you look at the Beatitudes, we always see blessed are, a character, and then kind of the manifestation of the blessing. So the one we're looking at today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So the Beatitudes aren't be this and then you're blessed, but it's God's blessing on the citizens of the kingdom of heaven whom he is making to be like these characteristics. It's not, I'm going to be this person so I can be blessed. You've been blessed as you have been born again into the kingdom of heaven. God is making you, working you, molding you like Jesus, where these characteristics come from. And he is blessing you in these ways. So, with that said, and if, if you missed any of the, the series on the new birth, you can go back online and listen to it. Um, but what we're doing in the last few Beatitudes really come out of the last thing we talked about with the new birth. And that was, when we're born again, we're given new desires. We're given new affections. We're, we're pointed into a different direction. And it's, this was really working well to come back in and finish these Beatitudes after thinking about being given new desires. And that's really what we're going to look at today when we look at those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
It lines up really close to new desires. Uh, it is new desires as a result of the new birth. So here are the three things that we'll, we'll touch on today. First, I want us to understand what the Bible means when it says righteousness or righteous. So we'll have to start there and then look at what does it mean to hunger and thirst and then what is it to be satisfied? Um, so let's, let's just, let me read it. I've said it a few times. Verse 6 of chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me say uh, a short prayer. Our Lord God, we come before you and your word, your eternal un failing, all-sufficient Word. And we ask that by the revealing of Your Holy Spirit, the power of Your Holy Spirit, that we might see Your truth and that it might affect us in a way that results in our being more like Christ and You being glorified among us. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so if I were to define or describe righteousness as the Bible puts it, let's keep it simple, and I want us to think about it in two ways. One, the first thing we can think about when we think of righteousness is it describes God's character. His righteous. His righteousness is a characteristic of who He is. We'll say God is righteous. We might say God is good. We might say that he does no wrong. In 1 John, John writes it in maybe the best way that I love to say it. God is light and in him is no darkness. And he finishes it at all. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Right? This is the righteousness of God. The second way we can look at it, it is the required standard or measurement for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I think thought that was the new birth. You're right. And we'll get to that. The right required standard or measure one must attain to enter in the kingdom of heaven. So it's like going to the fair. We can think of it as going to the fair. You want to ride a ride. You must be this tall to get in. Right? Or maybe this tall. If you're not this tall, you can't ride the ride. On God's standard of righteousness for the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, if you want to enter, you must be this righteous. Flip over one page and look at verse uh, 20 of chapter 5. Jesus kind of helps us see a little bit of what, how high this standard is. Okay? How high it is. Now, keep in mind, um, we'll say the common people of Israel look up highly to the Pharisees. They look up to them um, because the Pharisees have lifted themselves up above them all and says, look how good I am. Look how well I 
uh, obey. We saw it as we read Philippians 3. Paul's like, I was so good because of this, because of this, because of this. That was the Pharisees' mindset, right? And then so you have common Israel who, who aren't the Pharisees. They're like, oh, you are so righteous, okay? Now look what Jesus says in verse 20 in Matthew 5. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribe or the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that kind of statement would get a response of like, whoa, we're in trouble. If we have to be more righteous than the Pharisees, we got no chance. Well, that's, that was a high standard. But I want us to see also... So that's just pretty much saying none of you have a shot. None of you are tall enough to get in. But Jesus makes this point in other places. Um, when he speaks with the rich young man or the rich young ruler... Uh, and we see it through in, in, in all the Gospels, this conversation that Jesus has with this man who walks up to him and says, what good deed must I do to enter eternal life or to have eternal life? And Jesus doesn't answer him at first, but he says, why do you ask me about what is good? Now we can use, we can really swap good and righteous here. Why do you ask me about what is good? And he says, there is only one who is good. So, God just set, Jesus just set the measure. The righteousness measurement stick. You must be as good as God. Not just exceed the Pharisees. But you must be as good as God. But he tells us there is no one who does good but God. And he tells him, he then says, he kind of proves his point. He says, there is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Oh. Well, okay. This rich young man thinks, Ha! I got it. I've done that. I have kept the commandments. But what he, he completely misunderstands. He is deceived. In what he lacks. He is not righteous. But he is self-righteous. Right? This rich young man says, what do I got to do to get in? Jesus says, you got to be this tall. He goes, oh, I am. Let me in. He's self-deceived and he's self-righteous. He does not measure up, yet he thinks he does. You know, and David and Paul, they have their way of saying it, their way of setting the standard, and then their way of showing us that no one but God meets the standard. And we, we actually read David's take on it in Psalm 14 last week. 
And Paul quotes David in Romans 3 when he says, None is righteous. No, not one. None. Um, And Paul later says, as we read in Philippians 3, he admits there is no righteousness within me. I can't look in to see if I measure up to the standard of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So when I said that the standard was righteousness and someone was thinking, no, it's the new birth. Would you see where I'm going here? If the standard is goodness and righteousness to enter in the kingdom of heaven, what is your only shot? The new birth. To be saved in Christ. This is our only chance for our entrance. Now, there is... I mean, we'll use a, a story to help us of a man to think about this. I know most of you, if not all of you, have heard of Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther was a hotshot, up-and-coming lawyer in Germany. And one day... He was driving along and is on his horse, driving along. He was riding along on his horse and a horrible lightning storm comes up. Long story short, he gets knocked off his horse. He's, he's, uh, he's Catholic at the time. And he prays to this Saint Anne, if you will deliver me, I will be a monk forever. I'll be in service forever. Well, he's delivered. He doesn't get killed in this lightning storm. And he holds up his end of the bargain, and he becomes a monk. So him being the hot shot lawyer and and an educated man he is, he actually is moving pretty good in the things that he's doing. And he he's he's asked to become a professor at a university, and he 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 knows a lot, and he knows a lot of the Old Testament. And then when he gets to this other place, he gets to study the New Testament. And as he's studying the New Testament compared to what he was seeing in the Old Testament, he became aware of this standard, right? Of this, if you're not here, you can't get, get in. And he also sees that God is there. But then he also is realizing that he can't make it. But what happens is, is he tries harder and harder and harder. He he would go to bed without blankets in the cold night so that he could suffer because he thought that if he suffered enough, he might be righteous enough. He would harm himself physically for the sake of suffering like Christ and hoping that he might be righteous like Christ. He would deny himself food and meals. He would spend hours in the confessional Only to come back and tell the priest, I didn't confess right. My confession was sinful. He understood and knew the standard where God was and where he was. And he was fighting tooth and nail to get up there. Well, what turned out was not a good thing. When we fight to get where we have to be, We are condemning ourselves with every act, with every deed, and we are still falling short. And what happened with Martin Luther? 
there's a famous quote. He said, as I saw the righteousness of God and I saw that I must be righteous, but I saw his justice, that his wrath that he brings upon those who are not righteous. He's like, which is me, which is everyone. He goes, love God. I hate God and his righteousness because what, what, what hope is there? See, he was half right. He was half right that he had no hope within himself. He knew that he was not righteous. He knew that he could not make the mark on his own. But by the grace of God, he was asked to uh, teach on Romans. And turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And in his study of Romans... He saw for the first time what he had been seeing over and over again. And he understood for the first time that which he had studied over and over again. Martin Luther, in studying through Romans 3, he was born again. He had his eyes, his ears, and his heart open to see, hear, and understand. Look at Romans 3, starting in verse 19. This is the part he got, he understood, he knew. Starting in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. He knew he was a part of that. He knew he was going to be held accountable to God. And his mouth would be stopped if he tried to make an excuse. 4, verse 20, By the works of the law no human being will be justified in, the sight, in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what we talked about this morning. With the knowledge, with the knowledge of the law comes sin. But here's what he saw finally after probably looking at it dozens if not hundreds of times in verse 21, he knowing he could not be righteous, it says, but now the righteousness of God, meaning God's righteousness, not his, but God's, the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed. It has been manifested or revealed apart from the law, apart from what you do, apart from your works. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, here he picks up his thought back. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, he realized in an instant that it was not his righteousness, but that it was God giving him righteousness that was not his own, but was Christ. And Christ alone, who lived a life, who met the standard of perfection, who did not sin, who did not fall, who did not fail. But through faith, Martin Luther realized that he was given, he was counted as righteous. His eyes were open. And as he said, it was as if, what did he, how did he say it? I don't think I wrote it down. It's as if the gates of heaven swung open in that moment. And his burden fell off his back. When he saw 
that it was faith in Christ that makes one seen as righteous before God, counted as righteous before God. And he was saved in seeing that. Now, you could read Romans 4 this week to see this, to see this grace of God. Actually, I'll read this first. Romans 4, verses 4. Now, remember we talked last week about the analogy of a gift, especially in Romans or in Paul's writing. The, the under, the, when he uses the analogy of a gift, it's in contrast to wages that you earn. You can receive a free gift that you did not earn, or you could receive what you do or do or you can receive what you are due from what you have done. Verse four of Romans four. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You go to work tomorrow, you put in eight hours, you're gonna expect eight hours of pay, right? Right. That's the wages you're due. Well, the wages of sin, what you are due is Death. But the free gift, verse 5, and the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, basically who says, who makes the unrighteous righteous, right? The one who makes the unrighteous righteous, his faith is counted as righteousness. The free gift of God is faith, and the one who can count you as righteous. This is the grace of God. And by what grounds is this? But it's on the grounds. It's on the back of Christ upon the cross. It is in the blood of Christ. It is in his righteous life. The wages of sin is death. Christ did not earn his death. But he died in order that we might live. His life and his death. Um, let me read this. Flip over a couple pages to Romans 8. I just want you to see this in verse 3 of Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous... So Christ came and lived life in the flesh in order that, verse 4... The righteous requirement, the measuring stick, right? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, best two words in this passage, in us. Christ came, lived the life he did in order that that standard that you can step up and make your way in. Not based on your righteousness, but the righteousness of the life of Christ. 
But you'll notice the rest of verse 4 kind of ties into what we've been talking about in the new birth. Who is the us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Right? And then we know as Colossians Colossians 2 says, that Jesus, by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with the legal demands... This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You can be counted righteous because when Christ hung on the cross, he carried your debt of your unrighteousness. This is on the base. This is the basis of which we can be counted as righteous. On the basis of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this only comes through faith in Christ. Only through faith in in Christ. You must believe. You must believe to be saved. You must trust in Christ crucified. You must trust in Christ raised from the dead for the purpose of your sin. Yours, no one else's. To be counted righteous is to believe that Christ died for your sin, and he had to. Or you would walk up to the measuring stick, either on the day the Lord calls you, on the day he comes back, and you're going to be way down here. And this belief is a belief that acts. It's a belief that does. It's a belief that turns from sin that makes you unrighteous, and turn towards God. It is a belief that turns you towards God away from the idols that you're chasing that cause you to sin that make you unrighteous. You must believe on Jesus in order to be counted righteous. And when you do that, you have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And when you do that, tell the world, Be baptized. Join the church. And seek Him. Now let's jump to the Beatitude back in Matthew 5. And I will do this quickly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, If you came today and you had, well, if you came before church and had a hot dog or a hamburger and then we offer you one outside, you're probably like, "Mm, I just had one. Ironically, I had a corn dog this morning. You can ask me about that later. Um, It was a mistake. It was a miscommunication between the children and myself. Anyway, um, you're not hungry for that which you have. If you've just eaten a a half a pizza and I bring in a load of pizza, you're not ready to have another half a pizza, I hope. Um. (laughs) So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They understand their lack of righteousness. David hungered and thirsted. That's what we were reading in Psalm. What Psalm was that? One of those Psalms. He, Psalm 38. 
he was, you could see his desire of having something that he did not have. But he knew where he could get it. He hungered and he thirsted for it. I went too far here. Right. So the question I want to ask you is, who's hungry? Who's thirsty? Who wants more of this? Two things to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number one, to want more of our Lord. To want more of Him. Not the idea of Him. Not coming together on Sundays and just saying we're doing this. But you want more of Him. The person. When you open up your eyes in the morning. When you're going through your day. When you go to bed at night. When we come together. The purpose is we want more of Him. Because who is, the, who is our righteousness? It is Christ. So if we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we cannot do that without hungering and thirsting for Him who has made the unrighteous righteous. Jesus Christ. He is the essence of our life. The essence of eternal life, John says in John 17, 3, eternal life is to know the one true, to know, not to have, not to be like, oh yeah, I believe in God, oh yeah, there's a creator, but to know, like intimately know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That is what John says is eternal life. Not the pearly gates, not the streets of gold, but an intimate knowledge and relationship with God and the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. That we want to hunger and thirst to know more. And the beauty and here's the beauty of here's here's God. He wants you to know more. Guess what? You're holding the knowledge in your hand. It's in your hands. He didn't say, you need to go beyond yonder and find a, 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 an X to mark the spot and hopefully you've got the clues to find more about me. No, no, no. He put it in your hands. It's right here. The Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word and God has given us in these pages he is the radiance jesus is the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of his nature jesus is the fullness of god and god has given us words to know more about jesus so i i I, it's really easy to connect the dots here you want to know about more about jesus you got to pick up the book. You got to open the pages. The second thing, and we can just sum it up like this. So, the first thing is to know more about Jesus. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you also want to be more like Jesus. 
to be more like Jesus. Now, that's not some that's just a weird concept for most people in this world. Their desire is to their desires lead them towards something that they can get for themselves, whether it's that promotion or whether it's that new car. We got to have the house that we need to build. It's got to be all about this or that. Or I want to be like that great basketball. I want this or I'm going to go after that. But for someone who is hungering and thirsting for, the, for righteousness, who has been born of the Spirit, their desires and affections have changed and now they have been saved by Jesus Christ. They want to know more about Him and they want to follow Him and be more like Him. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to seek after holiness, which is another way of saying being more like Jesus. Now, let's look at Philippians chapter 3, the passage we read before this sermon. I'm seeing the finish line here. I'll start in verse 8, just so we can see what, Paul's understanding of where his eternal life comes from, that he's got nothing within him, that he's dependent upon God, the righteousness of Christ through faith. And then at the end of that, in verse 12, we get to see what it looks like to hunger and thirst. Okay? Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost. Remember, this is someone who has worked his whole life to please God. And, and as he is... Come to know Christ. He has this new frame of mind in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All of his works, all of his uh, aims and desires. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Could you imagine if that is your greatest desire? is to set aside everything in order that you might be found in Christ? Is that the attitude of our lives? Is that the desires of our heart? But look what he says in verse 9. And be found in Him. How? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through faith in... or Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which how good I'm doing, how right I am, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Look at this. The righteousness from God. Not the righteousness of Paul, but the righteousness from God that has been put in his account. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. Trust. That I may know him in the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul knows that until he is resurrected from the dead, he in himself is lacking, right? He's still fighting daily to put sin to death. And so he's, he's waiting for that day that he might be like Christ, sinless. Now here is his hunger and thirst, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but 
I press on to make it my own. He's been counted righteous by the basis of Christ. He can enter in the kingdom. He measures up, but not of the righteousness of his own. So now he says, I'm going to work to make it my own. He's ready to put his boots on to work for him who has saved him. Look what he says. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm going to tell you this, you will hunger and thirst for nothing about Jesus unless Jesus has made you his own. Unless you are a child of God through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, you will fight tooth and nail and each and every day you will condemn yourself more and more apart from true faith and repentance in Christ. 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, right? Straining, that's a a tough word. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, what's the upward call in Christ Jesus? If I had to just put it simply, to be more like Jesus. Paul wants to fight, to press, to strain, to be more like his Lord. So, practically, what does that look like? Well, I've already... We've, number one, if you want to press on, if you want to be more like my Lord, or our Lord, you must eat and you must drink. I've already said it. You must feed yourself. You must. Number two, seek Him, not just in the Word, but in prayer. Showing your dependence and need upon Him. You say, I just don't know what to pray. That's okay. If it is, I want to know more about you, say it. If it's, I'm sorry, forgive me, say it. If it's, show me more of yourself, say it. If it's, I don't know what to say, I'm sorry, say it. Show your need and dependence of Him in prayer. Number three, evaluate your desires. and Evaluate your desires. Do you hold more affection toward the things of this world than for heavenly things, spiritual things. Examine your desires. Number four, when you sin, acknowledge it. Confess it. And then fight to put it to death. That is the true sign of someone who is united to Christ in faith. It is is that they fight to put debt to death their own sin. A pursuit of holiness, a pursuit of being like Christ. Now finally, this beatitude says, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Three ways you'll be satisfied. Number one, immediately. If you trust in Christ and believe on Him, if you repent of your sins, you will be satisfied immediately in salvation. That satisfaction is more of a relief. You're carrying a burden that is too heavy for you and that will drag you to hell. And you're seeking satisfaction in all other places but in Christ. When you trust in Christ, when you believe on Him, the burden is dropped and the light burden of Christ is satisfying. I think about in basic training when we go on hikes and they've got our bags so full and you know 10, 12, 13 miles at the end of the day you're not you, you better not take your bag off at the end of the day you drop that bag it's just like relief satisfaction that's the satisfaction we find in Christ when he carries our burden when he carries our sin and our guilt which he did upon the cross. Number, so number one, immediately. Number two, continually and throughout your life. When your desires change towards the kingdom, when you are affectionate towards Christ and his righteousness, you will receive satisfaction beyond anything that you could understand. When you are seeking to live your life, when you're seeking the righteousness of Christ, it leads to a, pass, uh, leads to a peace that surpasses all understanding. Consider every area of your life this week. Your husband, a wife, a parent, a grandparent, your, uh, you're a neighbor, you're a co-worker, you're a boss, you're a teacher, you're a friend. If all, every day in all areas of our lives, our unrighteousness invades in these spots. Every day, unrighteousness invades in these areas of our lives. But when you seek the righteousness of Christ, then His righteousness, His peace, His power overcomes that invasion and brings peace throughout the areas of our lives that we are living and called to live in. Every day. Number three, complete satisfaction. Today we find satisfaction in Christ we have satisfaction, but we have only received a down payment of that. And we wait for the day, we look forward to the day with joyful confidence to a heaven of holiness where we shall be satisfied eternally. All because of the Lamb that was slain. All because of the Lion that has conquered. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who seek Christ above all things, and you will be satisfied in Christ above all things. This is a life that brings joy. 
that brings purpose, that brings eternal life. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, how we wait for your kingdom to come. And we seek that your will be done. We need each and every day to be fed. To eat and drink. The bread of life. The well of living life. Springs living life. We thank you for the satisfaction, the relief we have in Christ. We give thanks that his burden is light. His yoke is easy. And God, I pray that for the ones who have been carrying that unbearable burden, that it would fall today. That it would fall by faith at the foot of the cross. And you would bring new life into their hearts and show them an eternal hope and joy and peace that cannot be described. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.